0: Cool things you get to do as a pastor—you watch our young people just grow up and watch what God does, and it's just incredibly wonderful, especially for me. So I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of this. Um, would you join with me now in prayer as we continue worshiping God, but now in the understanding of His Word and teaching of it? Father, we just thank you for your great grace, and we pray today that in this message that grace just would pour over it, that we would see your grace in your word. And I asked with the power of your spirit to speak to each and every one of us and bring your love and your truth and your grace in fresh ways into our life. Pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. In a book called Proof, One of the co-authors, Timothy Paul Jones, speaks about his eight-year-old adopted daughter. This was her second adopted family. As a child, she was adopted by another family. But when she came to their family, one of the things that they learned was that whenever her first adopted family would go to Disney World they would leave her at home with someone else. And they would take their children and they would go. And so her newly adopted parents decided, we need to go to Disney World. And they made plans for it. And she was excited about it. And the whole family was excited about it. But as the time started to draw near, she began to act out in terrible ways. Her behavior got worse and worse and worse. And finally, a week out, they just sat her down and said, we got to talk, honey. Do you know what we're going to say? And she said, yes. I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? She assumed that no matter how good she was, she would never be good enough because of her previous experience. Her parents responded, you know, this is a family trip, don't you? She nodded. You know, you're part of this family, don't you? She nodded. And honey, you're going to go on this trip to Disney World, but there are consequences for the things you do that are wrong, just as there are rewards for the things you do that are right. Well, her behavior didn't get any better that last week. It continued to just deteriorate and get worse. But as promised, they took her to Disney World. And that first day was an amazing day for that little girl. She ended that day exhausted. And when they put her to bed, mom and dad said, How was it, honey? What do you think? And she said, with a big smile on her face, I got to go to Disney World, not because I'm good but because I'm part of our family. She got it. That's a picture of grace for all of us to understand and see. Grace is not favor that we achieve. Grace is a gift that we receive. Isaiah chapter 9 is about grace. It is about something that God wants to give us that we receive. And so, as we read God's Word in Isaiah today and continue our study, I want you to see the grace being poured out by God toward His people in His Word through the prophet. Now, God will demonstrate for them in this prophecy undeserved favor. Unconditional love for Judah and unconditional love for the world. Let me give you a little background in case you weren't part of some of these other messages that we had because they're important. In Judah, trouble's on the horizon. Syria and Israel are coming against them. They're trying to unseat the king who has refused to join them in an alliance against Assyria. Instead, King Ahaz has made an alliance with Assyria against them. Isaiah the prophet has spoken against this. He has advised the king to trust in God, that God will save Judah from them. He pled with the king to ask for a sign as proof because God was eager to give him a sign. But the king refused. The king was bound and determined to trust in Assyria. And the prophet Isaiah told him God will provide a sign, anyways will be the sign of Emmanuel, which means God with us. A child will be born. And Isaiah was told that there would be judgment for this mistrust against God. That the Assyrians would not only defeat Syria and Israel, but that they would continue their advance against Judah, And they would crush Judah almost to the point of total capitulation. And with the death grip around the throat of Judah, a siege of Jerusalem history points out, God will stop them and deliver his people from the Assyrians. Now, if you don't know anything about the Assyrians, they were one of the most cruel military people ever. They were brutal. And they were the first standing army in, in the ancient world. History of course records that that was precisely what happened. And on the night before, they were ready to make their advances against Jerusalem. That they had laid siege and they had brought all the siege uh, material and mechanisms of war that they need to break through the wall and the gate. That night before, a plague ran through the Assyrian army and 185,000 died. And the king and his army returned to Assyria, never to be the same again. Isaiah told the king in a sign of his son, Sher Abi Hashur. That there would be a remnant. All this in chapter 7. And the remnant was a portent of things to come. That they would be all but destroyed and taken away. This remnant would be all that exists. But that God would bring them back. Now, Isaiah foretells more of Emmanuel. He foretells the birth of a child who is the bringer of hope. Hope for God's people and hope for the world. It is likely that the Emmanuel of chapter 9 is also the Emmanuel of chapter 7. But scholars are not totally convinced of that, it may be that there were two Emmanuels, two God with us. I don't see that to make a big difference because if it's God with us, it's the same God. As we open the text today in chapter 9, we can break it into two sections, these first seven verses. Verses 1 through 3, we see hope in the situation that changes. The hopeless become the hopeful. And in verses four through seven, we see the, whole, the source of that hope and change. And the foundation of all of this is grace. And God is passionate, passionate about blessing His people and all of humanity. With his grace. Let's read together now the first three verses. But there will be no gloom for her. Now he's referring to Judah, who was in anguish. In the former time, he, that meaning God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now these are the places in Judah that history records were conquered by the Assyrians, before laying siege to Jerusalem. Then, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them as light shone. You, meaning God, have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. There are three changes that bring hope to the hopeless mentioned in these verses. The very first is the change that God is initiating it. God is acting in undeserved favor toward his people. He says, there'll be no more gloom in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. The Assyrians will be overcome and God will do it. That is God's action. But then it shifts and it talks about the latter time. Looking back, we know that it would be 700 years before Emmanuel would be born. The New Testament tells us that. That would be after the Assyrians have attacked and been defeated, after the Babylonians have all but decimated the people of God, taken them off into exile, and left a very small remnant, but that God would return to the promised land and restore. And it is sometime after that, that hope comes by the way of the sea, And what Isaiah is talking about here is the Sea of Galilee. And he doesn't just call it Galilee. He calls it Galilee of the nations. Whether Isaiah knows what he's talking about or whether God is just filling those words in, they're important words. Because the light that walks by the way of the sea is not just a light for God's people. It is a light for all the nations. God wants to pour out his grace and favor upon all people. That is his heart. God will include the Gentiles in this blessing. Otherwise, many of us sitting here would never know him as God and Father, would we? Matthew will record this Isaiah text, citing as Jesus moves to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee and begins his ministry there that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is Matthew revealing and testifying that Jesus is Emmanuel. This God, this this son who is given by God. The second change that brings hope is that darkness will become light. Darkness is always associated with the absence of God's face. Consider the brilliant countenance of God. Moses would go up to the mount, right? He would come down and his face would be brilliant. And he had to wear a veil. And Aaron, when he gave a blessing, the blessing that I like to give, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you lift up His countenance on you and grant you peace. That is the brilliant countenance of God that brings light. And even in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, when God brings about the eschatological kingdom of God, in the holy city, there is no need... For moon or sun or stars to provide light, for God, the Lamb, is its light. That's what we read in the present moment. Back to Judah, threatened by Syria and Israel and the coming of Assyria, they are walking in darkness. God has turned His face away. And the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will fall to the Assyrians. And God's people will dwell in deep darkness when the Babylonians come. And they destroy the nation. And destroy the temple. And destroy the walls that protect the holy city and bring the remnant far far from the covenant gift of God in the promised land but the promise is that God will turn his face back to them light will shine upon them the remnant will become the redeemed and the restored Hopelessness will turn to hope and be fulfilled by God Himself. And the third change promised of God is the sanctifying effect of His light, His gaze upon them, His promises to them. The remnant will increase. He says that they will multiply into a nation. And he says that their joy will increase. A joy that only comes with God. A joy that they were to celebrate at harvest time. As God kept his promise of Deuteronomy 28. That he would make it rain and bless their harvest. But there's also a joy that came when they had victory over their enemies. As God also promised in Deuteronomy 28. God is making intercession for his people in creation. And God is intervening in history for his people. And there is great, great joy. What is it that we can hear and learn and discern and grow from in this? for us today. We all go through troubling times. Sometimes they're really horrific. And when we're troubled, sometimes we wonder, where is God? Why is His face turned away from us? Why does it feel so dark and so heavy? And I feel so lost and alone. Why is this so painful? Why is God not listening to my cries and my pleas? And the word today from God is don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. Do not give up on God. He is not given up on you. If you are God's child, then God will not keep his face turned away from you. There'll be moments like that. Some of them we cause. Some of them are caused by the sins of other people, and some of them are just evil running rampant in this world. But God's face will always turn to his people And it will shine on us. No different than our children, those of us who are parents. We will not turn our gaze away from them. They cry out, and we look back with love. And so does God. You are His, you are His beloved. You are no different than an eight-year-old adopted daughter. God uses these difficult experiences in our life so that they will have a sanctifying effect upon us. God looks away so that when he does look upon us, it can have a sanctifying effect. Like the remnant we will become the redeemed and the restored. God will reestablish us and he will increase our joy. I have always said, God is not easy, but God is good. And he loves his people. So the thing I would say, if you're in one of those difficult times, in some of that darkness, struggling and asking, why are you not listening, God? May I invite you to ask God, what is it that you want me to learn? What is it, God, that you want me to do? If you ask God those questions sincerely, he will answer them sincerely. He will turn his gaze back to you. I've never asked that question of God and not gotten an answer. I haven't always liked the answers, but I have been grateful that He hears me and He turns His face back to me and He brings light where there was darkness and peace where there was chaos. Take heart. God will keep his promises to you. Oh, yes. By the way, sometimes God has been silent to me. But that was his answer. You know how I know? Because sometime after that, when I thought he hadn't answered, what I realized was that He wanted me to stay the course on my knees before Him, trusting in Him alone so that I would grow in my faith, so that I have a testimony to give to others and encouragement to others and comfort for others in the same affliction. And that is true of you as well not just of those of us in vocational ministry, but all of us have a gift of ministry. And God uses us in those ways. Hold on to grace, hold on to trust, receive from God and let His countenance, shine upon you. Well, that leads us to the last three verses of our text today, verses four through seven. And I'd like us to read those together now, the source of this hope and change that comes through the Messiah. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor let's look together just a little closer at the one who will bring hope in latter times. The promised Messiah. First, God will provide the bringer of hope to deliver his people. It is God who breaks the oppression of his people as in the day of Midian. We've all heard of Gideon, right? God comes to Gideon through an angel. And he says, Hail, mighty warrior. And do you know what Gideon does? Tries to hide. Who are you talking to? Not me. But God has set this man apart. And he will use him to break the yoke of oppression of the Midianites. And more thousands, thousands, I think it's 32,000 people in the army rise up to follow Gideon. Not too bad. And God says, whoa, too many. I'm doing this. Let's cut it down. And he whittles it down to 12,000. And then he whittles it down to 1,200. And then he finally whittles it down to 300. And do you know how many Midianites there are? 135,000. I like the odds of 32,000. Right? One out of four. I can't even imagine. I can't do the quick count. What are the odds of this? Clearly... This is going to be God's doing. And what is it that Gideon does? These 300 warriors. When God works through them, he decimates that army, breaks the yoke of the oppression of the Midianites forever. In the same way, God will fight for his people again and remove the yoke of oppression. And he will do it through the bringer of hope. He will do it For Judah. And he will do it for his people. Even now. There is a promise to end the war against his people. That they will live in freedom and in victory. And not by might or by power, but by God's spirit. God will do this. And it is not because they deserve it just as we don't deserve his love and compassion and favor. We'll never be good enough to get to Disney world, but because we're his, his favor and his countenance look upon us and we receive as a gift of grace. God tells us more about this bringer of hope, who he is, and the sanctifying impact upon us. He says that the bringer of hope will be a king, a child born. He is of human descent, he is a son to be given, that is given from the Lord. He is of divine nature as well as human descent and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be of royal lineage and he will sit upon the throne. Four names are associated with this king, this bringer of hope. He is the wonderful counselor. That is, he possesses the supernatural wisdom that only God can have. And the only qualifications that God will accept for those who will rule over his people forever and ever. And he is mighty God, a description of his power and his person. And literally the name means (coughs) God is a hero. No Israelite or Judean king was ever identified as mighty God. None. And this name means no one, no one, nothing will ever be able to stand against him. I think of his name, that at his name, even the demons shudder and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is God. He's everlasting father. This speaks to a relationship of father with children. That's, that means he's not just a just ruler, but he will be a father to his people. But it also means that he is the Lord unending. And he is the prince of peace he will administer the benefits of shalom. That is, his people will know well-being and harmony and peace with God. He is the Messiah who will sit upon the throne of David, promised by God. And he will establish the kingdom of God so that justice and righteousness is without end forever and ever. And I love how Isaiah concludes this. It excites me so. He says, the zeal of the Lord will do this for you. For you. It is His pleasure, His passion, You, his people. Wow. Like parents of an adopted daughter who took her to Disney World, where she experienced undeserved favor. So the zeal of the Lord will allow us to experience undeserved favor as well. Well, here's the big idea today. Emmanuel, God with us, is the ultimate bringer of hope for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now I know there is nothing new in that idea. Nothing to tickle your ears. Nothing to spark your fancy. But if you think about that for a moment, if you think about that for yourself, He is the bringer of hope for you and cling to it and cling to it every day in your life. And if need be, every moment, you will experience this in powerful ways. And the sanctifying effect upon you and the hope that it will bring to you and the gratitude that will flow from your heart will be overwhelming. You see, Emmanuel is the expression of God's favor, grace for us. And the expression of Emmanuel is God's light for our darkness. He is the agent who has a sanctifying effect upon our life. He establishes us spiritually as a Savior when we realize that it is He who went to the cross and He who bore God's wrath and punishment for our sins and He who extends His righteousness to cover over us And He who sends us the Holy Spirit to take up dwelling within us so that we may walk with Him. And He that increases our joy and establishes kingdom living, justice and righteousness in us, through that Holy Spirit. Paul writes this to the Romans, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. All of us face adversity from time to time. And I know for myself, I cannot imagine facing it without Jesus. I know that while I've been here, I faced the diagnosis of cancer. Unsure of what it meant, but on my knees before the Lord, trusting that whatever his answer is, it is good and it is right. And I had a wonderful outcome. And then unbeknownst to all of you, one year later, I was told that I may have lymphoma. And I was on my knees again before the Lord, trusting him, knowing that he is good and whatever he will do is right. And it turned out to be nothing. And then unbeknownst to you three years later, they were talking the same thing. And I was on my knees about the same thing. You'd think I'd stay on my knees, wouldn't you? I am. And God is good. And it is right. And it turned out again not to be that. I imagine there's going to come a day when it will be something like that because this is not my home. You see, I'm a child of God, a citizen of heaven. My hope here is in Emmanuel and there I will be with him. And all his people for all eternity. I can't imagine facing those kinds of things without the Lord in my life. And there are some of you who may say, "Well, that's what a crutch! How weak a man!" You could say that. Doesn't bother me in the least. I'm a guy. Who grew up in the alleys? I got nothing to be ashamed of in terms of coming before God and calling on Him like a little baby. Because you know, He loves me and He loves you. He's the bringer of hope and He wants to be the Lord of our lives. And he wants us to live by grace. He's our redeemer and he's our restorer and he's our sanctifier. By the way, big word. All it means is he's making us more and more as he created us to be. Like Jesus. And he's the ultimate arbitrator of our existence. And you know what I find in my heart? From all of that, Gratitude. Gratitude. Because it's all grace. I'm grateful for the Lord. I'm not alone. And I'm grateful for the light that Jesus brings. And those who live by grace are filled with gratitude and gratefulness. I don't know If you've made a decision for Jesus, I imagine that everybody here has. But there's always a person who hasn't, perhaps. And I want to say to you, Jesus is a choice. He's not a right of birth. You know, Ben and Jess, they grew up in the church, but they made a choice for Jesus in their life. and they belong to him. And I know that many of you have, and you'd be eager to tell anyone who has questions about Jesus. If you haven't made that decision, I invite you to choose him. Believe on him, that he is the great expression of God's love and grace, and live in God's grace and favor the rest of your life. This is the promise of God. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you now for your love and for your grace. We thank you that you are the bringer of hope, that you yourself have come as Emmanuel, to be God with us and that you have established us in such meaningful and, and incredibly wonderful, mystifying ways. I pray that for those who need to reestablish their relationship with you, that, Lord, you will just fill them with your spirit again in presence, Turn your gaze upon them. For those, Lord, who who are feeling apart from you, turn your face to them. I plead with you. Let your light shine on them. Let them come closer to you. And Lord, help us all to walk in the countenance in peace. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.